Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here and uh, be among friends. I'm glad you have your Bibles open to Colossians chapter number 3 this morning. Colossians chapter number 3. I realize it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Now that's noon in Michigan. So I feel tremendous. <laughs> Except that I woke up at 3 o'clock your time, 6 o'clock my time. And, uh, but Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And I realize as I come to chapel at 9 o'clock in the morning, it wouldn't matter what time I come, that some of you will sleep through chapel today. I will not take it personally. It is ordained by the Lord. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. You say, Pastor, you're making this up. I'm not making it up. Because the Bible says this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man, help me, so if that shall he also. I slept through some chapels in college. So I've got it coming. All right, just do me the favor. Don't pull out a pillow. That really bothered me, really bothered me. Look, you please in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3 this morning, as we look at those first four verses, familiar passage of Scripture, powerful, powerful book, the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, we find the person of Jesus Christ. Paul has been teaching and writing to the church of Colossae uh, that they can find their identity, they can find their stability, they can find everything they need, they can find their sufficiency in Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. He might be first place in everything that we do. Chapter 2, he deals with some problems without Jesus Christ. Man's traditions, vain philosophies. What happens when Jesus Christ is not in the middle? We get all turned around. In chapter 3, he begins some practical applications of what it looks like when someone has Jesus Christ right in the middle. Here we are at West Coast Baptist College, a Christian college holding to the word of God, the authority of the word of God, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, but I wonder if Jesus Christ is right here in the middle. Right. Not if we say that he is, because I think if we were to, to, to ask anyone in this room, they say, yes, Jesus Christ is in the middle, but in reality, is he in the middle? Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word. Lord, I need your help this morning. There is nothing that I can do except, Lord, speak your word and your truth. But, Lord, I ask that your spirit would illuminate your truth in our heart this morning, that our hearts would be open, that we'd be receptive to what you'd have for us. And, Lord, I ask that we would respond to you. Lord, we will respond to you one way or the other this morning, but I pray that we'd respond to you. And if there's an area in our heart, our life, that we need to address to be in accordance and fashion with your word, that we'd respond to you today. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. You may be seated. Again, I was able to bring my son Johnny. He's 13. He's down here by Jordan Cowling. And uh, glad for the time here. Thank you, Dr. R. and the staff here for the kind room and the, the nice gift bag and all those things. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate that very much. As you come to chapel with Bible college students, all right, you have, they typically say in a situation you have 30 seconds to prove yourself. I'm already past the 30 second mark. So already either you like me or you don't. I'm okay with that. 
I'm secure in that. But if I can give you just before I get right into the message, just a little bit of advice, just three pieces of advice. Um, a little bit for the guys, for the girls, and for everybody. Guys, a little advice for you guys while you're at college. Um, there's many things you shouldn't be. But one thing you shouldn't ever be at college is creepy. Don't be a creepy guy. Ladies, do not raise your hands, but internally answer the question, have you met a creepy guy before? If you met one at West Coast, don't be the creepy guy. I had a friend who was a creepy guy at college. You say, you say Brother how? how'd you know he was creepy? Well, because he goes, hey, hey, JD, there's this girl I like. Here's where she sits in chapel. I looked up her information on the, on the, on the information network inside campus, and, and here's where, what her address is. Here's her home phone number. Here's her birth date. Here's her height and weight. Don't be a creepy guy. Just saying. Ladies, don't be desperate. Don't be desperate. Men, don't raise your hands, but have you met a desperate girl before? I have. I have. And ladies, I'm just telling you, don't be desperate. You say, how'd you know she was desperate? Well, I think it was the application for marriage that she sent to me. You say, Brother Howell, you're making that up. I wish I was, but I'm not. And I should just tell you right now that sometimes these things in college come back to haunt you. All right? I went to another college. At our college, um, we did, they did like a, a mail note system so you could write little handwritten notes to, to ladies and the men back and forth. And they, and they would send it back and forth all over the place. And apparently what I forgot to do when I got out of college was throw those notes away. So fast forward a few years when I come home from work and there's the box of those notes sitting on my kitchen table that my wife had discovered. <laughs> That's awkward. And she wasn't mad. She goes, well, hey, who's so-and-so? Oh, J And then she begins to read the notes out loud. Oh, J.D. And she used that little voice. You know, oh, my word. Oh, come back, haunt you. What I'd say is this. Find your identity, sufficiency, and dependency in Jesus Christ. That is the point of Colossians. That is the point, to know that Jesus Christ is everything. In our main passage here, verse number four, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. John chapter 14, verse six says this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul has previously, in the book of Colossians, talked about how Jesus Christ has quickened us. He's made us alive. And in a spiritual sense, Jesus Christ is our life. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And with Jesus Christ, we are made to be alive. He is literally our spiritual life. But Colossians 1 tells us, that he is our physical life. In verse number 17 of Colossians chapter 1, when it talks about creation and all that Jesus did in creation, it says that all things were created by him and for him, and by him, all right, all things consist. So physically, if Jesus Christ took his mind off our existence for one moment, boom, we'd be blown apart. We would not consist, we would not exist, we would cease to exist without Jesus Christ. He is our spiritual life, and he is our physical life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 kind of ties them together. When it says, we've been given all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything we need for how to live now and how to live forever is found in the knowledge or found in Jesus Christ. He is our life. But my question this morning is, my thought this morning is, if Jesus is my spiritual life and my physical life, 
I ought to make him my everyday life. I want to consist of Jesus Christ. A few weeks back, we had at First Baptist Church what we call a pie auction. The pie auction, the ladies and men of our church make pies, and then we auction them off to different members of the church who will buy them, and all the money raised goes to the Christian school teachers of our Christian school. Every dollar raised goes to the teachers. There's no overhead, none to the staff, none to myself, none to the secretaries, just to them. And we had a great pie auction, raised thousands of dollars for our teachers this year. It was a great, great event. And the pies were delicious. I was impressed by the, the, the handiwork, the men and women who baked pies. So we're, we're sitting there, and I typically buy a pie. My wife and I will buy a pie, and we'll spend a few hundred dollars from two to four hundred, somewhere in there. Well, it was Johnny's birthday, and so he snookered me into buying, spending $100, $150 on these $200. I spent $200 on these candy nuts. And then a blueberry pie came up, and I spent another $200 on that blueberry pie as well. When I got home that night, I also had a Dutch apple pie and a strawberry pie at my house. It was a great night. Now, I've been on the keto diet, so I avoid sugar. But, but I'm sorry to confess that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak, and it was great. The blueberry pie was great. The candy nuts were great. The strawberry pie was great. And the Dutch apple pie was tremendous. All of it was good. But it made me think of a few years back, Dr. R., when before I was the, the, the pastor, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church, I helped judge the pie auction. What a treat. I'm telling you, serve God. Because he brings amazing things across your path. And one of those things was judging the pie, the pie contest before the auction. And so ladies and men will bring two pies, one to be judged, all right, and then one to sell. It was what, my job along with somebody else to taste the pie and pick some winners. Oh, someone had to do it. I suffer for Jesus Christ. We came to a certain pie, and uh, because of the fall season, it was pumpkin time. Now, I am not a big pumpkin fan. In fact, my heart was blessed this morning. When I was at the Great Awakenings and I saw the sign, if you hate pumpkin, here are some choices. Have you seen that sign yet? Anybody else just dislike pumpkin with me in life? Or do I have, oh, how many like pumpkin? I'll see you up at the front afterwards at the altar. <laughs> there's, still, there's still hope for you. No, it was a pumpkin pie. But normally a pumpkin pie has a nice bright orange color to it, right? A sweet potato, a sweet potato pie has a little slightly oranger look to it. But this pie was neither orange nor bright orange. It was a sickly green color. I smelled it, and it smelled like smoke and other things that I never want to taste in a pie. I had to taste it. I took one bite, and the pie tasted exactly like I imagined it, it, it smelled like. It was not pumpkin. I, to this day, do not know if it was a joke or if it was just some sick humor or someone actually thought this was going to do something. But the pie was horrible. It tasted like smoke and other things that you never want to taste in a pie. And I must confess, it's good for the soul to confess, isn't it? Somehow, that pie found its way in the trash can. It might have been off my forearm. Three swipes. <laughs> or four. But what the pie was supposed to be and what it ended up being was not the same. What the pie was supposed to consist of, pumpkin and everything nice, and what the pie actually ended up tasting like did not add up. And my friend, this morning I want to challenge us because sometimes in our life we are called Christians Christ followers, little Christ, we are called to be holy. We are called to have Jesus Christ in the middle. But sometimes what we're supposed to consist of and what we actually consist of are not the same thing. 
That's why sometimes people come to church. And they meet a Christian and they have a bad experience. And they say things like, well, if that's what Christians are like, then I want no part of it. It is not because they've tasted of Jesus Christ. My Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But they've tasted of something that was supposed to consist of Jesus Christ and all the fruit that he bears. But instead of tasting that, they tasted something else. That's why sometimes in your room, your roommates and you have conflict. If everyone walked with Jesus Christ, there'd be no conflict. Only by pride comes contention. There's conflict because what was supposed to be there and what was actually there, not add up. So this morning I want to give us from this passage four elements how our life must consist or what a life that consists of Jesus Christ looks like. Four simple elements be a fairly short sermon. I'll be done at least by noon, I'm sure, your time. But I typically preach simple concepts because I believe that overall in Christians, our problem is not a knowing problem, but a doing problem. Now, this point, when you're in college and you're in chapel five days a week and services on Sunday and learning in Bible class almost every day of the week in these block classes, you now know enough of God's word and the truth from God to live for God, but you don't, and I don't, not because we don't know, but because we don't act upon it. So I just want to remind us this morning of these four elements of what it looks like to consist of Jesus Christ. In this passage, first of all, I see the right direction. If you're taking notes, the first one is the right direction. Verse number one, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. You see, if I'm going to have a life that consists of Jesus Christ, my direction must be focused upward. My eyes must be looking up. My feet must be seeking up. In Isaiah chapter 58, we have an interesting, uh, uh, interesting thought from God on the nation of Israel. How in the nation of Israel, they were saying the right things. They were fasting, but they weren't doing the things with a heart to please God, with a heart to please themselves. Their direction was not up, it was outward. In fact, he says, you have fasted to win arguments, to, for strife between your, between your neighbors. How sad would it be to be at a Christian college, studying to, to serve God, whether in full time with your life or in some other capacity, and to have our direction shift like this. Have you ever found your walk hindered while you're at a Christian college? In a place that should be easy to grow spiritually, a place that you should be able to every day glean some truth and walk with Christ, but strangely we can find ourselves empty, and it is because our direction has gone from here to here. All of a sudden the classes become the priority. All of a sudden, the grades weigh heavy on our mind. All of a sudden, that relational problem or relationship becomes of a higher value than my walk with God. All of a sudden, the bills and the financial burdens that can weigh heavy on you, they become what occupy your mind and the space of your mind instead of the truths of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I worked my way through college. I was one of seven children. My parents helped out when they could. But I had friends who seemed to always win the financial sweepstakes. Do you have those friends? I remember one friend came to me the one day, probably the, probably the angriest I, I, confession again, right? He had just gone to his post office box, and someone had given him a check for $10,000. Yeah, praise the Lord, you say. That's exactly what I was saying in my heart. Just being tra transparent with you. Have you walked this path before? 
Sure, you're happy for them, absolutely. But inside you're like, but Lord, have you forgot about me? Uh, Lord, I'm still serving you. I'm down here. You see what happens when our direction goes this way, then we're not consisting of the things of Jesus Christ. We're consisting of these things. And the rest of your life, things will pull at you to pull your eyes down. The rest of your life, situations will come and try to get your focus from here and get your focus out here. And the thing is, it's not all bad things. It's not always sinful things. Sometimes it's just life hits. And you have to, again, refocus. I have four priorities in my life in this order. I believe from the Bible. Number one is God. He is the number one priority. Can I get an amen on that one? Thank you. All right. At least some of you are still awake. Number two is my spouse. I find that from the Bible, that she's my second priority in my life after God, all right? That she is more important than my children, though I tolerate, I mean, I love my son. Oh, boy, throwing a slip right there. No, I love my children. My wife's number two, my family's number three, and then every other responsibility, ministry, and everything else God has called me to do. And twice a year, I sit down and make sure that my life is lined up inside of those priorities. I base those upon passages of Scripture that I have formulated and studied and why. But listen, all the time, things want to eke out a, a, a higher place. I claim God is number one, but if, but if I'm not living that way, he's not really number one. I'm just doing lip service. I claim my wife is number two, but if she doesn't think that, if I'm not giving her the time she needs, then I'm just giving lip service. And my friend, if you're going to consist of Jesus Christ, you can't just give lip service. You have to give life service to him. Number one's direction. Number two is desire. Number two is desire. Number, verse number two says this, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Yesterday we flew into LAX. I am reminded again why I enjoy Michigan as I drive through the traffic from LAX up to Lancaster. I'm like, boy, you know, the, the biggest thing that I have to deal with in traffic is up north traffic on a Friday night will increase my time by about 10 minutes. And even then I'm like, boy, this is ridiculous. I'll take the back roads. But on the way up, my son had never been to an In-N-Out Burger before. And so we stopped by one on the way up and made sure he ordered that. Um, we have some people who have grown up here in this ministry in our place, and they told him what to order, and so we ordered that. I had a great time. It was delicious. Delicious. I, I enjoy In-N-Out. I love the burgers, the fries I tolerate. I'm a sucker for McDonald's fries. Just that's where I sit in life, you know. Uh, but the, but, the, but the, the double from In-N-Out is great. I wonder if you and I crave the things of God. I wonder if you and I crave the things of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I can talk to you about how good God is, but until you experience it, you won't really know. Last night I took Jordan over to Claim Jumper. I had a great steak over there. I crave food. I like it. I enjoy food. But I want to, above food, crave the things of God. You know, why, you know why we ought to go to church to please the Lord? But, but partly because I like being at church. I crave to be in the house of God with God's people because my life consists of God. You know why I want to spend time in, in God's word every single day in the authority of God's word? Because I crave learning about God and learning about his thoughts. It is not just to check off a list. It's because I crave to spend time with God. I think probably the best way that I could explain this is that when Johnny was, when we found out Johnny was coming, my wife was pregnant, our first pregnancy. I had heard that sometimes pregnant women would crave food. Have you heard this before? Men, 
I will warn you now. No, I will not warn you now. It's a thing. It's a thing. My wife was wonderful through pregnancy. She was, I mean, my, my wife, I wish she could be here today. She's teaching in our local district. Uh, but she's a wonderful lady. But one night, and only the only time I can remember, one night, she's like, honey, I want Arby's. Well, my wife's not like that. I said, okay, I was doing something else. And I kept on doing whatever I was doing. I don't remember. It was super important, I'm sure, in my mind. A few seconds later, a few minutes later, she goes, honey, I want Arby's now. <laughs> and I look up. I see my sweet, wonderful, godly wife. And she wants Arby's now. <laughs> I got in my car. I drove to Arby's. You say, Brother Howell, how far was Arby's? It didn't matter how far Arby's was. <laughs> was it open? It didn't matter if it was open. I was going wherever I had to go and get whatever I had to get because I was not coming back home until I had an Arby's bag in my hand of Arby's food for my wife who at that moment, the only thing she wanted was Arby's. It was smart. Appreciate that. It was smart. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. That's right. You say, Brother how would you do it again? You better believe it. Now, my wife was wonderful, but I think that's the clearest way I can, I can remember to express a craving for something. I wonder if that's the way you crave after Jesus Christ. Where you say, you know what, I don't care what time it is. I don't care how far I have to go. I don't care what's open or not open. I will not come back until I've met with Jesus Christ and he's met with me. I will not, I will not cease from, from my journey until I know that I've grasped from him and I've met with him and I've communicated with him. Do you crave Jesus Christ? Or do you just kind of like him? Oh, he's nice. I'll run through the drive-thru with him. Order what I need. Keep on going. My friends, there's too many Christians who just run through the drive-thru of heaven. And they don't crave Jesus Christ. If you want to consist of Jesus Christ, you've got to have the right direction. But you've got to have the right desire. Number three, this morning. If you're going to consist of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a denial in your life. Now, we are inside uh, not a movement, inside a time, and it's not new. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. This is not new in Christendom. But we're again under the guise, under the deception that God doesn't care how we live as long as we are sincere. That sincerity trumps everything else. And if you're truly going to be authentic and organic, then you live out what's on the inside. Well, the problem I have with that is as I read my Bible, I find out that on the inside, I'm not very good. That I still battle the flesh. As I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he says things like, oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I should do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I should do. As I look at my own life and I'm not deceiving my own self, I find out that I've still got the old nature that battles, that battles on the inside. And if I'm going to be one who consists of Jesus Christ, then there's going to be a denial. You see that in verse number 2 of Colossians chapter 3, where it says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Verse number five and following for about six or seven verses, Paul will then go on to say all these things need to just leave your life. Put off these things. Mortify these things. Get them out of there. There's no place for these things for this flesh. And if I'm going to consist of Jesus Christ, I've got to learn with the power of Christ to say no. To deny myself along the way. Things like flesh are not walking in the spirit. Just making your own decisions. Just living life today. In fact, I imagine some of you went to the first hour this morning. Did it start at 7.15? Did I hear that? How many were at 7, there at 7.15 this morning? God bless you. God bless you. Man, oh man. That's, is it tough? Yes? Shake them around. Is it tough? How many are like, no, that's a great best day of my life when I wake up and get to go to class at 7.15 in the morning? How many, how many first classes after this, after chapel? Oh, yeah, you're smart in your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. But how often, how often have you gone through class or gone through a day, you get to the end of the day, and you realize you lived it, but you lived it without Jesus Christ? You made it to the classes just fine. You took notes just fine. You, 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 you took a test. You took a quiz. You communicated just fine. You even talked spiritually. You came to chapel, and you had a nice smile, and you sang, Oh, how I love Jesus. And when the words aren't on the screen right, you don't know what to say. That's okay. You still smile because you still love Jesus. Right? But, but Jesus was no part of it. It was just you doing it all day. That's the flesh. Not walking in the spirit. And my Bible says... That if I walk in the flesh, I will fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if I want to be different, I must walk in the Spirit one step at a time. You see, I must have a denial, and I have to say no to my flesh. No, you know, mind, you can't. I need Jesus Christ for this wisdom. My flesh or my pride, exalting myself, has no part of my life. My lust, uncontrolled desires, anger, irritation strife and idolatry or anything that takes the place of God. You see, we can talk about having a life that's centered on Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, we start going down in our life and being honest with ourselves and we find out, yikes, my pride's got, got a big hold in my life. My anger's got a big hold in my life. And really, I don't consist of Jesus Christ. Boy, if someone takes a bite of this, they find everything else. There needs to be some denial. You can make a cake, but if you mix up the ingredients, you have a problem. Sunday morning of the pie auction, one of the ladies in my Sunday school class shared this, this, uh, this story with us. The night before, she was making, she was making a vanilla bean cheesecake to sell at the pie auction. She had bought real vanilla beans uh, to use for the seeds. They're, she had bought them on Amazon. They're like 25 or so dollars, she had said. She had bought some other real vanilla paste, all these ingredients. She said each pie had about, I want to say, 30 to $35 for each of these cheese, cheesecake pies she'd made. She was talking to her husband in the process, and she then, as, as she took a bite before she cooked it, she goes, uh-oh. And she looked over, and she realized that she forgot the sugar. So she tried to add it back in. This was now, she was like 10 o'clock at night. She goes, it didn't work. She goes, Pastor, it didn't work. It didn't work. She goes, I had to start all over again. She came the next day with two beautiful cheesecakes of which sold. And, and, but you know what happens? Sometimes we forget Jesus. And then we try to add them back in really quick. 
oh, that's right. Oh, that's right, Lord. Help me on this. Help me on this test. Let me add you back in. Oh, Lord, that's right. I haven't, I haven't met with you the last three weeks, but, but I've got a bill. Help me on this bill. We want to just stir him back in. That's not Jesus as part of my life. That's just Jesus being added on top. That's not a life that consists of Jesus Christ. You see, we have a life that consists of Jesus Christ. There's a direction. There's a, de- a desire, a denial. But last of all, we see a destination. This is found in verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. My friend, if you and I are saved, which I would hope that you are, if you're not, trust Jesus Christ today. I was six years old when I trusted Jesus Christ in a small little church in Pensacola, Florida. But because I'm going to live forever with Jesus Christ, I ought to live differently today. Because there's a destination, I'll be with him forever, then I ought to gear my life differently today. About two weeks ago, I went to an auction. Have you ever been to an auction before? It was a farm auction. And man, it was a lot of fun. I recently had bought a tractor and I could use some more implements for my tractor. I'm officially an old farmer now that I have a tractor. I had this tractor. I went to this, to this estate and it was a gorgeous estate. They had a pond and on this pond, I am sure the man ran his three jet skis he was selling that day on this pond. Right, John, is there with me? They had seven or eight bicycles. I bought Johnny a Trek bicycle that was going for $400 on eBay. I bought it for $75. He had three zero turns, three golf carts, all right, three tractors, one that went for $47,000. Huge estate, huge estate. You know what? He was gone. He was gone, and he could take nothing with him. Beautiful property, beautiful estate, nice jet skis, nice trailers, nice tractors, nice lawnmowers, nice everything, all these toys. And he had none of it. I don't know if this man was saved or not or nothing about him except the fact that he had a lot of toys and now he doesn't. You see, because we're going to live somewhere forever, we ought to live differently along the way. I tell you what, serving Jesus Christ is awesome. I hope he lets you serve him like I get to serve him. I get paid to study the word of God. You pay to study God's word right now. You pay for that. I get paid for that. Unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. I love serving God. I hope God lets you serve God like I get to serve God. But however God calls you to serve him, serve him. Because of the end, I live differently in the middle. So in essence, I have a simple question for you. The question is this, what's on your label? Picked up a Snickers bar this morning from the Great Awakenings. This Snicker bar, like most candy bars, has a list of ingredients on the back. Milk chocolate, sugar, cocoa butter, chocolate skim milk, lactose, milk fat, soy lectin, peanuts, corn syrup, sugar, palm oil, skim milk, lactose, salt, egg whites, artificial flavor. You just care about a Snickers bar. You're like, this is good. Now, if I pick up another Snickers bar, I'll find the same ingredient list on the back. I also brought with me a grass-fed beef stick. Different ingredients between these two. Yes? It is. See, but if I take this Snickers bar... 
pull it out here. And I shove this in here. There you go. Snickers bar. You'd be ser seriously disappointed. That's no Snickers bar. Why? Because the ingredient list is different. And you, my friend, and I am called to be a Christian. A Christian. But sometimes we just stick the outside label on it. And what's on that label is not what's supposed to be on it. When someone takes of this, they're like, boy, that's not a Snickers bar. That's not a Christian. Why? Because the ingredient list is all wrong. See, we are Christ, with Christ, who's supposed to be our life. So the simple question this morning, is Christ your life? Oh, he's your spiritual life. He's your physical life. But we ought to make him our everyday life. When you consist of Jesus Christ, it is noticeable. It is attractive. Someone interacts with you. They find Jesus. Or do they find your flesh? Do they find your worry? Do they find your logic? Do they find your knowledge? This morning I'm challenging us to make sure our life consists of Jesus Christ.